0: Hi, I'm Babs Weber, and welcome to Paused at Home, an Alberta Social Innovation Connect podcast. The pandemic and economic downturn this spring have forced many changemakers to pause or to pivot. As we head into the summer, although our province is experimenting with opening some aspects of our lives, we still have a lot to adapt. In light of our work structures changing on a daily basis and the pause we're in at home, we've decided to touch base with changemakers across Alberta to hear about the new questions and reflections on their minds during this period of systems change. Some episodes will pair together multiple voices chatting about one question. Others will have a solo perspective. If the question sparks new thoughts for you, please share in the comments on your favourite listening platform and let us know what you think. Anand Olivier, Former Absey Connect Fellow and current advisory team member works in planning and forecasting with the city of Edmonton. He sat down with Elise Martinowski to talk about the big shifts happening right now due to the pandemic. What good things can we take into the future? What can we leave in the past?
1: Well, thank you for, for being here and taking the time to chat about the thoughts that are on your mind right now as we're in a big period of systems change. So to get started, if you could introduce yourself along with what you do.
2: Sure. So my name is Anna Olivier, and I uh, work for the City of Edmonton. My role with the City of Edmonton is uh, I I use a methodology and process called strategic foresight, mm-hmm. which is connected to the world of social innovation, is connected to systemic design. It's about um, thinking about how emerging trends could be impacting the future and how they could shape the future so it's a you know it's a very dynamic time for this kind of work mm-hmm. um, and and the kind of work I do I also you know I've been connected with ABC, uh for a while and and I am currently part of the advisory team for APSEE.
1: wonderful well thank you we're very lucky to have you here and I realized I haven't been asking people where they're chatting from so we're we've been chatting with folks all across Alberta and I haven't been asking that so I'm going to start doing that so where are you sitting at right now?
2: Uh, well, I'm sitting at my dining room table. Nice. <laughs> uh, that's my that's my place of choice today. And uh, where I reside is in Edmonton, Alberta.
1: Um, so with that, what are some of the big questions that are on your mind right now?
2: Yeah, well, and it's, it's interesting. It's sort of the question in and of itself is always changing. So I know that um, if you asked me a week ago, I may have had something a little bit different to say, but essentially, you know some of the things that are are sticking with me or on my mind are kind of two questions. So uh, we're during in this time of the pandemic, the global pandemic, and um, you know, so often in social innovation, we say we can't just turn a light switch on and off and the world changes well. The pandemic is showing us that it's pretty close to that, actually. At times, with big, with big, uh, with big shifts. Um, so the pandemic has almost really overnight uh, shifted how we, how I think about the world. And so, two questions I'm looking at. The first question is: What are things that we would want to carry forward? You know, from the pandemic into the quote-unquote recovery phase or the post-pandemic world as that starts to emerge. The second question is kind of the the flip side of that coin, which is what do we want to, or what would I want to leave behind um, moving out of the pandemic? What are things that we can leave in the past? Um, So I've been sort of ruminating and contemplating that for the last, oh, however many months we're at now. And, And at different times, different things come forward, but that's kind of the two main questions.
1: Wonderful. So I guess we'll jump into one of them, whichever you prefer okay. to chat about first. If you want to chat about what we're leaving behind, and and then go into what we're taking forward, or vice versa.
2: Yeah, I'll probably start with what we're taking forward, or what I'd like to see take forward. So perfect. Um, and I'll kind of give two examples of how I see us being able to take uh, uh take things forward. So, um, and and hopefully people will be listening, will be able to think from their own perspective what relates to what i'm saying what i'd like to see move forward is a sense and this sense of urgency this and, and when i say urgency i don't mean uh panic and i don't mean urgency that is uh, sort of like anxiety inducing but the urgency of now is the moment now is the time so you know as you and i are sitting here having this conversation what's happening in our community, in our Canadian communities, in across North America is the um, uprising, the protests and the discussion around um, racism and anti-racism as it relates to the uh, murder of George Floyd and the systemic racism that black people face across America and North America. And I think also it's it's about the uh, racism that many people of color face, and I think especially within Canada, the Indigenous peoples of Canada. So there's the urgency that we're seeing around that. Um, And before I kind of dive in a little bit around what I think I want to say a little bit about it, I'll talk about another example that is Edmonton specific, but I think there's some lessons there. So before the pandemic. Um, In my work, I had been working on uh, how to uh, build a more age-friendly city and, and Edmonton being a place for healthy aging. And in the midst of that work, the pandemic hit. And in Edmonton, there are a number of senior serving organizations. And they realized that they had to get together and start working together in order to Uh, better address the needs of vulnerable seniors throughout our communities in a time where uh, social isolation um, makes it very very difficult to have your needs met. And so a a whole bunch of organizations got together and they created a model. They called it, you know, sort of the the seniors pandemic model. Um, And they created a table in which they are organizations sitting down together and collaborating in order to make sure the needs of vulnerable seniors are met. Um, And it's sort of this example of rapid collaboration in which uh, previous agendas, whether they be organizational agendas, um, things around leadership and leadership preferences, that all uh, fell to the background because it was very clear that right now was an urgent time to collaborate differently and to make sure that those who are in most need of service is how services were aligned. And so they created a the whole model and were able to do that very quickly. And I think previous to the pandemic, I, you know, I know many people would have said, oh, well, the senior sector, it's difficult to organize. We're trying to do that. We have a coordinating council who has that role. But you know what? There's lots of there's often tension. And then all of a sudden we have this urgent need to serve people now and people stepped up to the plate. Um, anything and the differences they previously, previously may have had, they said, we're going to set these aside to focus on something important. And get the job done. And then, you know, related back to the the work around anti-racism. So, part of my of some of the volunteer work I do is I work with an initiative in Edmonton called the Shift Lab, and this is a social innovation lab that is exploring the uh, how to create anti-racism action in Edmonton from a few angles. And the team I'm a part of, we before the, the what's happened currently, we were very we went through a whole social lab process. We have a a prototype um, that we're testing and we were very cautious. We're creating a website. We're very cautious with our language, being very measured. Part of what our approach is, is to how do we bring, um, you know, create these on-ramps for anti-racist action for people who are interested but don't know where to start. So our prototype is around that. And so we created, we wanted to make it, you know, a lot of our research showed that You need to create a safe space for people to say, I'm ready to take action, and people need to learn and grow and do some work. So we're creating a toolkit for them to do that work. But we were being measured in the use of language around anti-racism, fragility, uh, privilege, white privilege, um, and we wanted to not push people away. Then we have what's happening in the States, and all of a sudden across social media, across mainstream news, the language of anti-racism, the language of, uh, of fragility and privilege is everywhere, and people are starting to really explore it. So overnight, it went from, oh, let's be careful and measure, to now's an urgent time, really call out what's actually happening. And, you know, we have recently had a meeting as a working group, and we're really changing the, the language because there is an urgency now to addressing these deep um, uh, injustices and the systemic oppression of people. And it, I think really the pandemic has has brought to the fore that um, even before the pandemic, there were urgent challenges and urgent problems, except we would say maybe tomorrow or someday, or we got to give it time, or we got to work on this. Whereas what the pandemic has showed us is that urgent action is always needed, and you can do it in profound ways very quickly you can make big shifts in the way you work right now if you frame your work as being urgent and needed, and now is the moment to get to get the work done. So that's, you know, the first question.
1: And a very big question. It is um, definitely giving me lots of thoughts as you were chatting and you explained that sense of urgency very well.
2: Thank you. So the second part is sort of the flip side of this question. So what is it that I would like to see left behind? And, uh, you know, there's, there's probably a long list of things, and um, and what I'll focus on is kind of the, it's, it's almost the direct inverse of what I previously talked about around urgency, and it's around complacency and also this idea that um, what I've seen is the pandemic has shone a light, a really big spotlight on the cracks within our system in the way we do things. And in the way, especially in how we serve and address the needs of vulnerable and marginalized people in our communities. As an example, um, when we talk about people who are experiencing homelessness, the pandemic uh, really showed that, it, and it is showing that, that how are we serving people who are experiencing homelessness in a way that is, allows them to have safety? I know and so our shelter systems uh, are often at capacity and there's challenges there. Um, And the pandemic said, "Okay, well, here, if we're going to do certain things, it's going to reveal the challenges we have around uh, meeting the needs of the marginalized and vulnerable. So in Edmonton, uh, and for a lot of really good reasons, the city decided to uh, make buses free and to, for a few reasons, um, mainly to allow uh, ease of transportation for essential workers and, and people who need to get to places, and also reduce the amount of uh, physical contact that potentially happen and, and transmit COVID-19. And what sh- started to happen is people who didn't have any place to go started taking the bus uh, all the time and, and staying on the bus, riding the buses as a, um, as, a, as a place to be. Um, because all the other places were locked down, and you can't congregate in malls, you can't go into other indoor spaces, every place was, you know, everything was locked down in the early phases of the pandemic, so people start taking the buses, and it's, there start to be some um, incidences on the buses that, that were definitely uh, dangerous, and so the city really had to start to look at what what are we going to do in order to address this? So, you know, there are a few things around security and changing schedule, and but also opening up a shelter space at, at the Edmonton Expo Center and a couple other locations that previously hadn't been used. And what to me that said is that, you know, in normal times, we just, you know, between the hours of, let's say the daytime hours when people aren't using shelter systems, we're kind of like, I don't know, people are somewhere. You know, there are people who work on the front lines who you know where people hang out. And the pandemics, what it said to me is like, we don't do a good job of taking care and providing equity and dignified space for people. And I would say that generally, there was a bit of complacency around that. It was the one day we will figure this out. One day we will get there. One day the right resources will be in place, the right people will be in place, the right, there'll be enough time to think about things. And if we're really going to kind of be the kinds of communities that are reducing the uh, you know, vulnerabilities of people and also reducing um, our impacts on the environment, we need to really look at how are we providing opportunities of dignity and that we can't be complacent about it. Um, it's, it's funny, one of the criticisms often of social innovation is that it is slow some of our processes are slow processes labs can be long and slow iterations um prototyping all these things people say are slow and i think there's a way that we can start to to leave this this idea that we have to be slow in order to get work done Um, yeah so this idea that social innovation can be slow. I think there's some validity to that. I think in my experience as a practitioner of social innovation, I have found at times things be really slow. I have found that we can be complacent that we get um that we lose sight of why we're doing the work sometimes and we really get focused on process and I think that's some of that's what we can leave behind is this idea that that the process is the is what we need to focus on and really we need to start to reframe and be really be conscious of making sure that our processes are in service of the problem that we've identified or to serve and help the people that we are not just to but working with to uh, create uh, solve challenges and, and change the system yeah i just think the, the pandemic has really revealed to us that if we if we don't start to be intentional we will we will inadvertently leave people out and we won't create space and room for them to um like i, I the word term that keeps coming back to me is a side term of dignity i just i just think we can we can create more dignified op- opportunities for dignity and for people to have dignity regardless of what circumstance they're in and that they're that we have many places that are inclusive, so that if the malls get shut down, it doesn't mean there's no place for people to be. We can have, we can create a sort of resiliency in in our communities in which one thing cannot go, like a, a space can be closed, and there are multiple other spaces that are inclusive for people um, and and be supported in. So, you know, I'd love to see that as being the legacy of the pandemic, and that's something as we move out of it, it's no longer it it becomes no longer part of how we do work um, going forward.
1: Definitely. And you're giving me so much to think about just for myself as well, around what are the things I would like to see carried forward and what are the things I'd like to see left behind post pandemic. So I'd love to use this opportunity to challenge our listeners to do the same, to do some thinking around what you take forward and what you leave behind. And please share in the comments of your favorite listening platform of this episode of what those things are, or reach out to us via email at, admin at absiconnect.ca.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I'd, I'd love to hear from people as well, and and please feel free to, to connect out to us and, and let us know what your two things are and mm-hmm. and anything that you'd want to add or challenge around what I've said so far, so.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you again, and so much for being a guest on the show and sharing your insights and wisdom. I'm really looking forward to sharing out this episode and hearing what listeners have to say around your thoughts, as well as their two things of what they'd like to see carried forward and what they'd like to see left behind post-pandemic.
2: I'm happy to be here and I'm glad I could uh, spend a little time sharing some of the things I'm, I've been thinking about. And
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, and I'm excited to see what, how people respond.
1: Mm-hmm. Me too. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This. It was just fantastic. Oh, great. Thanks, Louise.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pause. In the spirit of reconciliation, we'd like to feature land acknowledgements recorded by students of the Virtual School Project a cohort of folks building a new education model that incorporates indigenous ways of knowing and creates new pathways to meet
3: the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action. Land, the ground we walk on, the paths we follow, the river we see flowing, the round hills we see so beautifully existing. Whether it is in our immediate consciousness or not, we all have a continuous connection to the earth that surrounds us at any moment in time. For as Judy Atkinson once said, Land is a story place. Land holds the stories of human survival across the generations. Land shapes people, just as people shape their countries. But, in addition to acknowledging our very personal and individual connections to the land, it is also equally as crucial to give light to the history of the territory, and to the peoples and groups that call the land we reside and work on their traditional lands, in order to not only help foster the ongoing recovery of humanity's reciprocal relationship with the land, but also to highlight any injustices that have occurred as a result of a highly incorrect and troubling colonial mindset that both plagued the past and continues to wreak havoc today upon indigenous communities.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by sharing it with a friend and rating us on your favorite listening platform. We'd also love to feature your big question on a future episode. Find us at abseconnect.ca slash get hyphen involved for more information on how to be a guest. We'd like to thank our funding partner, the SunCore Energy Foundation, producer and editor Elise Martinowski of ABC Connect, series producer Naomi Mahaffey, and theme music creator Eile Aurora. I'm Babs Weber. Thank you so much for listening.